Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, a podcast of Grace Community Church of Delaware, where we seek to consider and discuss the biblical implications and life issues that come out of our study of God's Word. My name is Jared Cooper, and this morning, as always, I'm privileged to be together with our pastor here at Grace Community Church, Paul Shirley. As always, I'm glad to be with you as well. It's just a good day today, isn't it? It's just a, <laughs> it's a kind gift to be together. Uh, I am encouraged and have been thankful for uh, our discussions, and, and one of the things that's been on your mind, I know uh, you've been going through the book of John, and I know that's been a profitable study for our church. And one of the questions that's uh, come up before in our baptism classes is, why was Jesus baptized? And so I know you have some material on that, and we're going to discuss that today, if you're cool with that. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been looking in, in uh, our study of John's gospel uh, at the first chapter of John. And of course, this issue of Christ's baptism comes up there, uh, where uh, John the Baptist baptizes Christ, and, and that plays a key role in in John's introduction to the ministry of Christ. So there's a lot of questions about, well, what's going on there? Because we recognize uh, we're, we're baptized as a sign that we're identified with Christ. So that would be weird for Christ to be baptized as as a sign that he's identified with himself. You know, the fact that he is Christ identifies him with Christ. So, <laughs> so his baptism can't be exactly the same as ours. Additionally, we know that John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the repentance of sin and for the preparation of the Messiah. Well, Christ didn't have sin, and he was the Messiah. So again, Bible interpreters are left asking the question, well, then why was Christ baptized? And there have been all kinds of different theories on this over the course of church history. Uh, Some try to tie it to... um, uh, an old covenant practice uh, that kind of grew up in Judaism that that priest as they entered into sacred ministry would would undergo this ritual cleansing and and that is what lined up with with Christ being baptized and the trouble with that is that it's just not the same you know Christ was immersed baptizo is the Greek word and it means to immerse well there's no Old Testament uh, ritual or rite that is like that at all. You've got some cleansings and waters and things involved, but there's nothing like baptism. That's part of the reason why a delegation was sent from Jerusalem by the Pharisees out to John the Baptist to say, hey, what are you doing? This is a new thing. Nobody's ever done this before. We're kind of the official keepers of the Jewish religion. So if you're going to do something new, you got to run it past us. So so what are you doing with this baptism? So that indicates this is a whole new thing. What about in the Old Testament? So is there any—so not to completely just run you off track, but when we talk about paedo-baptism and the idea of sprinkling, is the Old Testament where you see— that kind of thing where you saw the sprinkling of blood, is that kind of how the, the, the people who would see that as an important thing to do, they would view the sprinkling there with blood as, as sprinkling with right. the, the child? Because you said a new baptism, it just came up in my sure. mind. Sure. So you're talking about pedo-baptism or, or also known as infant baptism, and, and they obviously sprinkle rather than immerse. Um, and does that come from the sprinkling in the Old Testament? I would say no, it doesn't. Uh, it's it's actually pretty pragmatic. It's just, you know, if you're going to take an infant and baptize that infant to entirely immerse that infant underwater is uh, practically 
difficult and possibly dangerous. And so they just started sprinkling babies. And that's kind of how that got started way back when. So it's, it's just surely pragmatic. And now they would argue that, well, you know, how you're baptized doesn't matter. The mode of baptism doesn't matter. Sure, you can sprinkle them, even though the word baptizo means to immerse. Now, they would make the connection between circumcision and baptism. And they would say that circumcision is a sign of the old covenant. Baptism is a sign of the new covenant. So you should baptize your children in the same way that children of Israelites were circumcised. So basically, besides the fact that you didn't want to drown babies... There was that's no, the only there's no, reason there's for no sprinkling. Spr- yeah, exactly. That's the only reason. And and then when it comes to this, well, does it carry over from the Old Testament in that way? I would say, yes, baptism is a sign of the new covenant. However, the only people who are part of the new covenant are those who are regenerate and saved by faith. You know, when when God promised the new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, the the promise is clear. I will write my law on your heart. I will wash you clean. Uh, you will have a new heart. I will replace the heart of stone. So only those individuals who are regenerate are a part of the new covenant, which means if baptism is a sign of the new covenant, then only those who have made a credible profession of faith should be baptized. Um, so yeah, the, uh, when it comes to the water and the sprinkling, though, it's just it's just total pragmatism from church history. All right, so go back to you were talking about, so this was a new thing for John to be immersing people in, in water. Right. Uh, baptism under repentance. Judaizers come and say, hey, what's going on? Right. The only thing similar to it at that point was there was, um, there was a ritual where a proselyte, so this is a Gentile who wants to convert to Judaism, had to go through this ritual cleansing where, where basically he would baptize himself. He would walk through water and go all the way through the water and come out on the other side. And the idea is that you go in unclean Gentile and you come out the other side, a proselyte, a God-fearer, a Gentile adherent to the Jewish faith. And so I think you could make a good case that even a part of John's baptism is he was preparing the way for the Messiah by telling Israel, you're not acting like God's covenant people. If you really want to be ready for the Messiah, you've got to repent in a similar way that a Gentile would have to totally change their life to truly worship Yahweh. Even though ethnically you are Jews, you are going to have to totally change your life in order to worship the Messiah when he arrives. Uh, I think that's kind of the, the emphasis there of John's baptism. And the interesting thing is it still leaves you with a question. Okay, why, why was Christ? Yeah, right. Why why was Christ baptized for that? And and this is actually even a a question that I think John wrestled with because when when Jesus came to be baptized by John uh, in the Jordan River, Matthew chapter three says John would have prevented him saying, "I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me?" So John recognized the meaning of his baptism, obviously, because he's doing it. He recognized the holiness of Christ, and he says, wait a minute, this this is not what my baptism is intended to be. And Jesus's answer clues us in on why Jesus had to be baptized, because Jesus goes on and answered him, let it be so now. So you notice Jesus does not correct John. By inference, John is saying, look, my baptism is a baptism of repentance. You have nothing that you need to repent of. How could I baptize you? Jesus doesn't say, no, John, you're wrong. I've got some sins in my life you don't know about. No, no, he never, 
He never corrects him. Instead, he says, let it be so for now. So you're right, but let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So there we find kind of the first clue on why Christ had to be baptized. Uh, Really, we, we might summarize it this way. Christ had to be baptized so that he could identify himself with sinners. We need repentance. We uh, need to recognize our sin. Christ came to make himself sin for us. And, and so in this first act of his public ministry, Christ is identifying himself with sinners like you and I so that he can fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. So here we even find in Christ's first act of his public ministry, we, we find the principles of the gospel already at work. Christ is working to bear the penalty for sin and identify with sinners through his earthly ministry. And at the same time, he's working to provide righteousness for those who need it. So everything that's required from us in the law, Christ fulfilled on our behalf through his earthly ministry as a human being. So he is able to impute or credit that righteousness to us, which happens through faith. And that principle is already work in Christ's baptism. So if you were to kind of kind of summarize it, Christ had to be baptized, first of all, because he had to identify himself with sinners. He had to identify himself with his people whom he came to save. And so he came and was baptized not out of repentance for his own sin, but he was baptized because he was identifying himself with sinners who did need to repent. When he came in the incarnation, he was placing himself in our world, literally. And, and when he was baptized, he, he was publicly identifying himself with us uh, so that he could be our savior. So I think that's a big part of the reason why Jesus had to be baptized. I don't think that's the only reason, though. Uh, if you flip over to, to John's gospel, we, we fill out the picture a little bit more and we see that all of this, and when I say all this, I mean the baptism of Christ, this was, this was planned and commanded by the Father. So John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Christ, right? He's, he's the messenger. He's the one who's, who's, who's coming to prepare the way for Christ. His role is to point people to the Messiah. Well, if you're going to point people to the Messiah, you have to know who the Messiah is. So in, in some way that we don't have the details on, the Father indicated to John the Baptist that, that here's how you will know who the Messiah will be. John chapter 1, verse 33, John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, this is the Father, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So not only did Jesus have to be baptized so that he could identify with sinners, but also Jesus had to be baptized so that he could identify himself as the Savior. This was the signal, if you will, from Yahweh to John the Baptist, okay, I'm, I'm identifying this individual as my Savior. He is going to have the Spirit come upon him in some kind of physical manifestation. What does it mean that the Spirit came down on Christ like a dove? Um, 
you know, I don't know exactly. I, I don't know exactly. But the point is, there was a visible, clear manifestation that the Spirit, at Christ's baptism, the Spirit came to rest upon him. And this is significant because in the Old Testament, that is what God promised to do, to send a Messiah, and the word Messiah literally means anointed one, to send an anointed one, anointed with what? Anointed with the Spirit to come and save his people. So just a few Old Testament passages that kind of set the stage for this. Isaiah 11, verse 12, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, this is talking about the Messiah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So, so the Messiah will be one who has the Spirit in a unique way. Additionally, Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my Spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So, so again, Messiah's got the Spirit. And in fact, the prophecy in Isaiah 42 matches up with the exact language of Jesus' baptism. Remember, because the Spirit comes down on Jesus at the baptism, but also the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son, my chosen one, in whom I am well pleased. So all of this is pointing back to Isaiah 42. Uh, another one, this is uh, uh, the Messiah himself speaking in Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, bring gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. So again, the Messiah has the Spirit uh, in a unique way to discharge his ministry, which, by the way, later on in John's ministry, when John was in prison, he started to have some doubts. He identified Christ as a Messiah because of the baptism, what happened at the baptism. And John starts to have doubts from prison, so he sends his disciples to Jesus to inquire, are you really the one? And it almost seems like Jesus is dodging the answer. But you have to remember, the question was asked in a very public way, so Jesus had to be careful. So what Jesus did is he quoted Isaiah 61.1 back to John's disciples and then said, tell John that you see these things happening. In other words, yep, you saw the Spirit come upon me, and now the Spirit is empowering me to fulfill the ministry of the Messiah. Uh, so, so all of that helps us to understand the significance of the baptism of Christ. Christ is identifying himself at, uh, with sinners, not as a sinner, but with sinners. Additionally, Christ is identifying himself as the anointed Savior. This is the public moment that was appointed by the Father and agreed upon by the Son when he would be identified as the Savior. That's why the baptism of Christ is a significant event. Uh, question. Yeah. So as it says here in, in, uh, in John, it says, I myself did not know him. John the Baptist talking about Christ. Yeah. For this purpose, I came baptizing with water. But then when he sees him in Matthew, it's like, well, I, I need to be baptized by you. So there is definitely a relationship. Additionally, they were related. There was some relation there, obviously, They're from an earth, earthly perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, you see the Holy Spirit on, on John, even in the womb. You know, he, he leaps when we find out about Christ. So there's there's definitely some sort of knowledge there. But he says, I didn't know him. So what... Can you build that out a little bit more? Yeah, that's a little bit tougher for us to put together, isn't it? That's a that's a great question, great follow-up. 
John may have responded that way because he personally knew Jesus. And so he was responding to Jesus and saying, look, you're a righteous guy. You don't need this. This is for, for all these sinners over here. I know you, you're my cousin and you don't need this. And Jesus says, no, 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 do it. And then John sees the Holy Spirit comes down and says, oh, whoa, now I know you're Messiah. That's one possibility. I think that's unlikely at this point. Uh, I think it's more likely. You're talking about based on an earthly relationship. Right. Because Christ, obviously, we know he lived a perfect life. Exactly. You know, before his earthly ministry, there's not a whole lot written there. So John, if he had any kind of relationship with Christ, he would have seen this person who was living perfectly. Right. Which would have been crazy anyway, but regardless, so that you're talking about not beyond just the earthly relationship. Right. He may not, at that point, he may not have realized that Christ was the Messiah. And he may have been arguing with Christ about the baptism just because he recognized Jesus is a, you're a faithful guy. You don't need this. Right. You, you don't. You know. You don't need to do this. You're. You're more faithful than I am. That's a possibility some commentators would take. Okay. I personally don't think that's the most plausible explanation for a couple reasons. One, it doesn't quite seem to fit the text. Two, it seems like John had been out in the wilderness for a really long time, so he didn't really know Jesus in the way we might think. It's not like they were neighbors and hanging out all the time. John was out in the wilderness eating locusts for a long time. You know, maybe it was the 17th year and the cicadas were coming up. (laughs) You know, I don't know. But but so I think that that is an implausible explanation. Another possibility is that when Jesus came to be baptized by John, that is the moment at which he realized the identity of Christ. And what you see in Matthew three fourteen, where he is just saying, no, 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 I can't baptize you. It, it is that moment of recognition where John the Baptist is putting the pieces together and saying, you're the Messiah. And even not in a disobedient or unbelieving sense, but just, okay, I know I have to baptize you, but I really shouldn't baptize you. And it's almost a worshipful exchange there. Um, You know, I I think that's a possibility. Also, one of the things that we have to note as well is that it may be that John didn't know. John knew that he was going to know the Messiah because he was going to see the Spirit come upon the Messiah. But it may be that he didn't know that it was going to be at the Messiah's baptism that he would see that happen. He may not have had that detail. The father and the son knew, okay, it's at the baptism that we're going to identify you as Savior because the Spirit's going to come upon you. You'll be the anointed one. It may be that John didn't have that detail yet. So so those are three possibilities. One is that he was arguing from a human perspective, you're a faithful guy, you don't need baptism. I don't think that's likely. But... I, I can't disprove it directly from the text. Another possibility is that that's the very moment when he recognized uh, Jesus as Savior. And what you what you see there is humble obedience. I can't, I, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. And then Jesus says, but you have to do it. And John says, okay. You know, that's faithful response. Right, that is interesting too, because he consented his very next verse. I mean, it, it wasn't a whole lot of arguing back and forth. It was just... Right, right. Uh, and then the other possibility that isn't necessarily mutually exclusive from that is that John knew he was looking for the guy who was going to have the Spirit come upon him, and that the Father was going to show him that in a visible way, but maybe he did not know for sure that it was going to be at a baptism. Uh, Father and the Son knew that. It was appointed. That's why Jesus says, look, John, 
this is what needs to happen, so do it. And then when John sees the Spirit coming down upon Jesus, John now realizes, oh, this is why it had to happen. This is, this is it. So, uh, but the point is, the whole thing is appointed by God to be a public confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. So from a theological perspective, Jesus is identifying himself with sinners so that he can be our substitutionary savior. And then from a revelatory perspective, Jesus is identifying himself as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, because the spirit comes upon him. And this, by the way, does not mean that Christ did not have the spirit before this. And here's how we can know this. One, we know that in his divine nature that, that Jesus was never separated from the spirit. But even in his human nature, we know that Christ always had the Spirit because he was conceived in the Spirit, and he always lived in dependence of the Holy Spirit. So how is it that that the Spirit comes upon him? Well, it is a special public manifestation that was revealing a reality that already existed. And in the same way, Jesus was always the Son, right? So, so Jesus is always the Son, but it was at the baptism— that the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Was he not the son before that? Was he not pleasing before that? Of course, of course he was the son. Of course he was pleasing to the father before that. That was just when the father chose to reveal these things publicly. Did he have the spirit before the spirit descended upon him like a dove? Of course he did. That was just when it was the appointed time to reveal these things publicly. That was the sign for John the Baptist. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't for Christ that, you know, he wasn't revealing those things to Christ in that moment. To right. Your point. It's a public display. It's a public, okay, here it is. Here's my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. That, no, that's a good point because there are some theologians, um, maybe in a different realm of, of evangelicalism or even beyond evangelicalism would say that Christ did not know he was the Messiah until this time. The problem with that is that would be a denial of, uh, well, that you run into some problems with Christology, problems, yeah, sure. and, and and the biggest one is it would be a denial of the conscious deity of Christ. In order to say that Christ did not know that he was God, that he did not know he was the Messiah during his earthly ministry, you would have to go to Philippians two and say that Christ emptied himself of all of his deity, which is not a faithful position of that, because God can never stop being God. Right. So in some way that that transcends our capacity to understand these things, Christ is fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man, very God of very God, very man of very man, which means Colossians 1 says he upholds all things. Well, at the very time when he was being birthed, he was also upholding the whole universe. Can I understand that? No, but is in the text of scripture? It absolutely is. And if... If, and, and this would be about 12 other podcasts we do that would bore everybody <laughs> to death, but, but there are some like N.T. Wright is big on this. If you've heard, if any of our listeners have heard of N.T. Wright, um, you're familiar with the name. If you haven't heard of N.T. Wright, forget I ever said the name. You don't need to look up his books. You don't need to read them. You know, they're not going to be helpful to you. They're not going to be helpful to you because it, it, it's, 
it's not uh, he's not bringing clarity to the scripture. In many cases, I think he is he is twisting the scriptures, and he is a big proponent that Christ did not know he didn't have a personal awareness that he was the Messiah. Um, and I can't remember if N.T. Wright says until um, you know he was in the temple and around the age of thirteen, or until his baptism. But but he's a big proponent of that. But the problem is to take that view, you you have to take the view of Philippians 2, that Christ emptied himself of all his divine attributes, which is not a faithful view of that text. The right view of that text is that Christ limited himself of the prerogatives of deity. In other words, he never used his deity in his own prerogatives and for his own purposes, but he still remained God. So, that takes you down a pretty complicated rabbit hole. But but yeah, Christ was not baptized because he needed the affirmation of it. It doesn't say that anywhere in the text. There's similarities, too, in believer's baptism. And here's what I mean by that. Obviously, believer's baptism and John's baptism, completely different thing. Right. But what I mean by that is you are no less a Christian before you're baptized or after you're baptized. It's just this outward hey, I'm, I'm a believer, and I right. want everybody to know that. And so it is a step of obedience. We know that. And this is, again, another podcast. But there is, in a sense, when you before you enter the waters of baptism, you're still a believer. Right. And then when you come out, you're still a believer. But there's that obedience, and there's that, really, you're saying to everybody, look, I'm, I'm identifying with Christ. And, you know, the Father was giving us so much more than that in that. But to reveal and to put that placement on, on Christ like that, there's that same kind of... If yeah. you wanted to, that yeah, physical it's a, it's a public proclamation of a spiritual reality. Yeah, and uh, baptism is that. You know, we're we're certainly publicly proclaiming our allegiance to Christ in baptism, but at the same time, God's given us the ordinance as a public reminder that He's with us as well. We're totally immersed in Christ, uh, and uh, so that so that baptism goes both ways in that regard, and, and in a similar way, you're right, in an analogous way. Um, the baptism of Christ is a kind, another kind revelation from God confirming that Jesus is the Savior, that all people should trust him because he is the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament, predicted in passages like Isaiah 61 verse 1, and, and he was empowered through his throughout his ministry by the Spirit. And, and, and it fits into John's gospel in that way because... You know, the whole rest of John's gospel, you're reading about these signs that Christ did. And all of it comes back to, yeah, he did it because remember his baptism? He's the one who was anointed by the Spirit to do it. Uh, so it's all confirmation that Jesus is who he says he is, and he he's able to do what he promises to do for sinners who believe them, and that is uh, uh, save them and, and guarantee the forgiveness of their sins. Amen. Well, thank you, brother, for uh, studying through these things and uh, discussing it today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. 